Hello, friends. Welcome to the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacquione. And this week on the show, I am joined by my good friend, my mastermind group cohort, Mike Vardy. Mike is a comedian turned productivity expert. You might know him from Productivityist. This episode is great. I mean, Mike and I became friends because I saw him give a speech or I saw him on a panel. So we we talk about that a little bit. And I, I always love to tell people that story. But what I love about Mike is how he's great at using regular concepts and he's great at using regular humor in his speeches. So in this episode, we will talk about how Mike got started in public speaking. We'll talk a lot about humor and improv, how you can use those things to improve a presentation, especially if the topic like maybe isn't that exciting. And then I always love a good story of someone that I know to be a good speaker who bombs. <laughs> so you get to hear a story of Mike Vardy bombing and the... Uh, the lesson he learned from that. So we wind up talking about improv. We talk about YouTube videos. We talk about talking from stage. Mike Vardy's a gem. You'll love him. Check out my interview with the great Mike Vardy. Mike Vardy, I think, I could be wrong about this, but I think you're the first friend I ever had where it was expressly because I was impressed with you as a presenter. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're the first friend I've had that when I met them was that's how too. they're like, which is hilarious because as somebody who performed like sketch and improv and stand up and all that stuff, that's all I ever wanted is people to like me for that initially. And then it was, and then it was not for those things. It was, I was impressed at how you handled a panel, but it was something. It was, it was, I remember that distinctly because it was at South by uh, yep. South by Southwest. And this would have been like eight, almost eight years ago now. Uh, as of this recording, because it was like I would, I just turned 40 and it was one of the or I was turning 40 and it was one of those things where I'm like, wow, I'm, it's my first South by and I'm getting to be on stage. And, you know, uh, the moderating that panel was it was interesting because I just did one not too long ago um, in 2022. And the the interesting thing was everyone that was on the panel with me at South by Southwest. So it was Mark and Angel Chernoff, uh, Craig Jero. And, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on, on who else was on that panel right now, but all, everyone that was on the panel, we worked through things. We actually like kind of worked through the whole, the whole thing and, and had a good rapport. I tried to do that this most recent panel. It was hard. It was like hurting cats to try to get it to happen. And then, but it was that kind of, um, rehearsal for lack of a better term, uh, led to so much confidence getting on stage at South by versus when we were at this other conference, everyone was like, they were so concerned that I did not know what I was doing because we had not been able to get together and everyone was trying to, and it went, both times went really, really well. And they were two completely different kind of panels. But yeah, it was, I don't, I, I actually enjoy moderating panels when they are done right. And that's, I think what you pointed out when we met is like, Hey, you know, you know, you, you did this panel, right? This panel pull was panels are, can be boring as all a get out. And this one was not. Well, that, that was the thing that struck me because I had just gone from a previous panel that I was bored and I was stuck. I, mean, mm. I was in a seat where I couldn't really leave. But the, the, what was happening, they had clearly not rehearsed ahead of time. And I, you know, it's up in the air how much you should actually rehearse as a panel, but at least have streamlined answers, I think is, is what I came away with. But yep. the, the group I had seen right before that, there are five people there. Everybody was taking at least two minutes to answer every question. So mm-hmm. if there's a question that I'm not interested in, now I have to wait 10 minutes for, for another question. <laughs> 10 minutes. <laughs> and, and yours was, I, I mean, I remember at one point timing it. I was like, how, how quickly is everybody answering? And people are answering with really concrete information on like 48 seconds. And I do remember at one point, Craig Jarrah just said, you know what? Let's skip me. Like we, everybody answered this great. Let's keep moving on. And I was, I was impressed by how much that you and the rest of the panel respected everyone's time and gave real information. And you were the one hosting that. So that has always stuck with me. And I've always referenced that panel, not that it's online anywhere, but I've always given people that advice. You don't have to rehearse it where you are literally saying, okay, here's the question, Mark, what would you say? Angel, what would you say? But it is useful to think ahead of time about here are the types of things I'll say, here are the types of things I want to talk about just so it's fresh in your brain. Have you have you watched the Nathan Fielder show, The Rehearsal, yet on no. HBO? 
Oh, it's so good. So Nathan Fielder is a Canadian comedian. He actually graduated from business at the University of Victoria, where I live. But he was he was part of like the group. He went to Point Grey with Seth Rogen and stuff like that. So yeah. he's really well, like well healed in the comedy industry. And he had a show called Nathan for You on HP on I think it was it might have been on Showtime, but he had it before. And it was basically like he's the guy that did the dumb Starbucks, the Starbucks, like the the art exhibit that, that was acting as a Starbucks and Starbucks kind of <laughs> tried to close them down. It was in the news. And what he did was when he was building that show is he he had instances where they were trying to figure out what would happen. So they were trying to predict or rehearse what would go on in these scenarios. And from that, this show, the rehearsals born now is only six episodes. But the idea is that he takes it's 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 hard to know what's scripted and what isn't. It's such a blurred line scenario, but it's brilliant and genius, especially from somebody who like has looked at comedy for a really long time, like like I have. But what like the first episode is he he finds this person who is part of a trivia team, like a pub trivia team. And this person has lied to the entire trivia group that he has a master's degree when he really doesn't. And he doesn't know how it's going to land. Like, so he, he's, he's afraid to, to, to kind of tell one particular person in this group because he doesn't know how they're going to react. So they rehearse it, but they rehearse it to the nth degree where Nathan builds a replica of the bar that they go in inside this studio in New York. Like, and he has a flow chart of all the things that could happen in the conversation. And he, he shows it. It's like a, it almost looks like, like a whiteboard of like the, a decision tree. And that's kind of the way that when you're doing it reminds me of the panel that we did because we were kind of like, okay, so this is, we could go this way or this way. So there were some instances of like, how do we want this to go? But it wasn't, verbatim like this is what i'm going to say about this it was very much like decision tree flowchart kind of stuff we probably engineered it a little bit more than most but by doing that i think when i did the one most recently it gave me the confidence to go okay well if this goes this way this is how it's going to be but this show the rehearsal if you haven't watched it yet anyone who's listening or what it's hilarious if you've got hbo it's it's so funny and it 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 shows you that you can't like it's it's important to live in the moment but also like what could happen if you try to over rehearse something, uh-huh. how, how ridiculous it can be. It's so funny. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about humor. Let's talk about speaking improv. These are things that are always synonymous with you. So I'm curious how you, cause I, I just observe you as Mike Vardy, the polished speaker, polished with a hint of improv. What was speaking like when you started? I mean, was it did Mike Vardy do this growing up or when did you get into speaking? Oh man. So, I haven't told this story before, but I actually entered like public speaking contests when I was in grade school. I actually came in um, second place at, I think it was in like grade five. And it, my, my, uh, my speech was on the answering machine. And I just basically did like how to make really good answering machine messages. And I did what? like interesting impressions. Yeah, yeah. It was like the only, per- the person that beat me did one called Who Is They? And like, it was all about they, like who the they is. And it was like way ahead of the curve for somebody that age. I'm like, that's brilliant. But I, I've never had a problem getting in front of people and speaking. I've performed as an actor. I've done improv and sketch and stand up. But I started back then and, and, you know, performing in kindergarten all the way up. But that first public speech I gave was on this idea of the answer machine. I wish I could, I wish I kept that talk, but I don't have it. And then from there, I started to do more, you know, like, again, bits when I ran for student council in high school, I did a George Bush impression. Like I ran like a George Bush senior. And I did like, I, I did like, a, I came out like a pro wrestler would cause I was into wrestling. So we had, and I tried to rip my shirt off, but I couldn't. So I pulled a pair of scissors out of my back pocket and cut it. Like I, I had no fear of that. And then from there, I just went down the path of performance and it wasn't until I started to, you know, kind of explore productivity and time management in my, you know, adult years after working at Costco for a while and things like that, that I started to mesh this idea of performance plus, I guess, entertainment plus inform- information. Like, how do I make time management and productivity engaging and throwing in humor into the mix and all that and making it not just a, a, a talk or a presentation, but almost a performance of sorts. And that's kind of what I've done over the years 
it's it's a blessing and a curse to have improv background because and you and I've talked about this privately yeah. before where improv if you're really good at improvising you can sometimes go okay well I can just wing this that's you can't it's it's a great tool to have in your toolkit but you should never go on stage and I've done this with like oh, I'm not really totally prepared but I can improv and I'll be I'll fine and my bullet and I'll figure it out and you can't it it's literally the difference between like oh this person's a pro and this person's you know a hack which again comedic terms right so but yeah I started back then and I've just always loved it and now I'm kind of you know I'm at this point in my career as you know in the productivity space where I'm leaning back into the performance space a bit more too with doing more stuff on YouTube and then even and I haven't really talked about this much either but trying to turn this into like does this become a one-man show kind of thing like do I do I follow the path of like what a George Carlin has done or, a, or, a, you know, like where, you know, you turn this into something where people think about it and they're like, what? Like, cause humor is so disarming and it's so it open, it, it really brings down people's defenses and opens them up to whatever message you're trying to convey. And I know I have that skill. So if I can do that with, you know, the idea of helping people with their relationship with time or getting better at, you know, kind of, you know, figuring out what they really should be doing or what they need to do and want to do. If I can find ways to do that through the the idea of performance and presenting and speaking, I'm I'm down to do that because I just love doing it. So let's talk about let's talk about using humor in within a subject that's not inherently exciting. <laughs> yep. I mean, when I hear productivity, I I think of spreadsheets. I think of a clock ticking. I think of lots of things that are helpful to me in life, but are not very funny. So. Mm -hmm. What do you do to find humor or even if it's not humor, what do you do to find entertainment in that subject? So the great thing about having a comedic background is that having studied what comedy is, comedy really is taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary or vice versa. Right. So, you know, uh, there's this great movie from like the nineties called comedian and it starred Jerry Seinfeld oh, and yes, Orny Adams. Totally. Brilliant. It, it, it's, it's, I think it's recommended for anybody who's trying to do speaking anyway, because it uh -huh. shows you how to assemble material and two different, two completely different ways and what that path looks like. But one of the things that I find that I've been able to do, and, and it's not something I can turn off. So I just go with it is I can look at something and go, where's the time in that? Where's the productivity in that? Like, so for example, when, when people are talking about projects, so they're like, Oh, you know, this is a project. I'm like, have you ever done, like I can pattern break. So I'll say, Hey, have you ever gone grocery shopping? And they're like, well, like that disarm, like, of course I have. I'm like, well, that's a project. Well, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. And here's all the steps. Like, so when you can bring something that's relatable to everybody, that is kind of an inroads to humor because there's a realization there. And then you can do things like, and I've done this before. I think you've seen me do this where I talk about laundry and doing laundry and how laundry is a project. And I can tell you that's a project because if you've ever tried to wash your whites and your darks together, you've, you end up with pink shirts. Like, and I'm just throwing something out there like that, but you know, like, and that that's one example. Um, so taking something that would be perceived as dry or, you know, not something you would normally correlate with, Hey, this is funny, or this is, I just try to bring the real life into it because everybody has time on their hands. Like we are all using time or times using us. Um, <laughs> or, and we all are trying to be productive in our own way, shape or form. So if I can tap into that through my area of expertise, cause I've studied this for a long time, plus I've studied comedy. If I can get that meshing to happen where I can align that stuff, that's where I can bring that. And, and I mean, one example that I did in a workshop once is I talk about these things called working by modes, right? So I talk about like, you know, maybe you're going into study mode or maybe you're going into like, you know, whatever, uh, it, phone mode, I'm going to make all these phone calls. And I, I talk about the, the movie, the pursuit of happiness, where Will Smith's character is constantly on the phone and there's this idea of flow and some guy, and this was a guy, this is a workshop where they were forced to attend. They did not necessarily want to attend. And so this one guy thought he'd be cheeky. And he said, well, what about dancing mode? Like he was trying to be like, get me off my game. But I don't think he realized that I had dealt with hecklers before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in front of his entire, and this was like a small group, maybe 20 people. And I said, well, show me what dancing mode would look like. And I just like, and, and 
he just didn't know what to do. I'm like, well, go ahead. Totally like, and by the face. way, yeah. And by the way, do you do a lot of dancing? Because frankly, like the only reason you'd use that as a mode is if you were, say, you know, a performance artist, like you were constantly dancing. Or maybe you are uh, somebody who uh, is finding a way to avoid work all the time. And that's your version of dancing. But go ahead, show us dancing. And he like, I'm like, yeah. And I think I said after that point, I'm like, I've done stand up. I've dealt with hecklers before. Uh, keep it coming if you want. And I kind of just was like, oh. and that was, and that was it. And that was it. Well, and that was, that was, to yeah. Um, and I think in that environment, they didn't realize that they, they thought it's just some other workshop dude that's here that's teaching us. But no, I mean, when you have that in your arsenal, uh, that's why people study improv classes or they'll take stand up classes. Like those are valuable because they help you in situations like that where you, you know, somebody wants to take that power from you or, or they're, they're not, they don't want to be there. And so they're trying to make it entertaining for themselves and you can snap. And by the way, when I shut that guy down, everyone was that much more engaged with me because they're like, okay, well, this guy's a boss. So he clearly knows what's going on. So I'm going to pay attention. And he didn't skip a beat. So yeah, I mean, if I can infuse real life and try to draw those correlations between like, Hey, this is what everybody does. And this is how it relates to the message I'm trying to convey. Um, that's, that's where the win comes in. I think Seinfeld has a thing that he talked about. I think he called it, I forget what he called it. Something to do with psychologists where it just struck him. He got heckled early in his career. It just struck him instead of battling with the other guy to, instead of doing that, he just, he just looked at the person and said, that seems like you're having a bad day. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> I don't, yeah, that, that would be interesting. There's been, you know, another instance that came up and this is again, where improv can help. I was at speaking at think better, live better a few years ago, Mark and angels, uh, Sharon off which we've both spoken at and humble. The poet was speaking and he's a fellow Canadian. So there, I always look for if, if I'm at an event, I, and this, I learned from comedy too. You don't just, I don't want just go on and speak my talk and do that. Like I pay attention to the roster because having done stand up, the stand up comedians that, that are good will watch the people in front of them so they can get a read of the audience so that they can maybe do callbacks and things like that. So humble, had sp I think humble had spoken at that point. And I was talking about, um, the difference. One of the things that came up during my talk was like the difference between Canada and America. I'm like, for example, we don't, we cook our ground beef. Like you cannot order a medium rare burger in Canada. And I go humble. And I look at him and I'm like, tell me, have you ever had a medium rare burger in Toronto? And he goes, uh, I'm a vegan. I go, you see, he's <laughs> never had a medium rare. And I had to like be that quick because that didn't work. So having the ability to, you know, having that in your toolkit is also helpful because if you decide to do crowd work or you decide or something doesn't go right, you've got this ability to course correct and then get back to what you, the message you were trying to convey. So let's talk about improv. You've brought it up a few times. It is something that I think is pretty foreign for most people. If I'm, I'm someone who's given a couple talks before, let's say that's, that's me. I've given a couple talks before I am, I'm very nervous to deviate outside of my script. What kind of advice does Mike Vardy have for me on either deviating from the script or implementing, like what little bits of improv can I inject in my talk? Well, I think, I think one of the ways that you can deviate is first off only deviate if it's going to add value to the talk. Mm. Right. So for example, um, you can add value by either doing a callback, which is bringing information from a previous talk that may have happened at the event. Like a previous and speaker. Could, right, from a previous speaker, yeah. or maybe, maybe you know, something else that happened at the start of the event, something that's related that everyone's got a shared experience around. And you don't even have to make that funny. You just need to, it shows that you're paying attention and it's those little, little deviations that will make the audience go, well, this person is on point. They, they're on their game. So if the weather has cooperated, you could, that's something you could throw. Like there's some, like, you can always find something like that to your comfort level. That's the nice thing about it is that you don't have to do it in a reactionary sense. You could do it in a proactive way. Like, oh, you know what? Like the weather's been, you know, came to San Diego 
And the weather, I know I spoke there once and I'm like, you know, I, I brought a sweater. Who knew I need a sweater? Like you could do things like that. Or if somebody brought a point up that you're trying to illustrate, you could reinforce it by, let's say, if Mike said something about the importance of, you know, not moving around on stage too much, right? Like trying to, that could be something you could bring back. Like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay put as Mike mentioned earlier, <laughs> like you can throw stuff like that in there because then it shows you're with them. You're on point. So that's, that's one way that you can do it. Another you can try is if you, if, if something is that you've just discovered that is related to the message you're trying to do, this is what a comedian would do is they have their standard set, right? So they'll have their set and then they'll bring in a new bit or a new joke, just a small one that you can kind of infuse into your presentation. If it, if it works great, you can add it to the mix next time. If it doesn't work, it's a throwaway. Um, I'll give you uh, an example uh, that happened when I was doing a presentation. I was talking about um, the different, uh, uh, like packing, packing for a trip, and I mentioned like here's the list of all the things I could pack, and I think I mentioned uh, floss, and I got like I didn't put floss on the list, and so I guess I didn't bring floss, and all of a sudden as, during the Q and A portion of the event. Somebody said, I don't have a question. I just want to give you some floss. What? Yeah. So they gave him up and gave me some floss. And then I literally said, thank you so much. By the way. And then I, I, I gave a nice pause. Pauses are powerful. I want to go, oh, I forgot to tell everybody. I also forgot to pack bourbon. <laughs> and and I kind of got a, and I looked around like, oh, all right. All right. Just, just checking. And then I left it. So I, I tried that again at another event. And it didn't, it was in that moment, right? So you can't always bring things from one event to the other. So I think that those are two things that you could try to infuse some improvisation at a comfortable level for you. Remember that some of the rules of improv are like, yes, and. So there's this level of acceptance, right? Um, but there are rules of improv that you but can wait, bend. Wait. Not everyone yeah. knows that. So what's, what's yes, so, and? So yes, and is it's a level of acceptance, right? So if, if Mike was to say to me, um, if we were in a, in, in a, if Mike was in the audience and he was to say, um, I, uh, I'm always on time. And if I was to say, Mike, you're no, you're not. That's, that's immediately, that's called blocking. And I'm not accepting what you've sent my way. If you're performing on stage and we were doing a scene together and I said, uh, Hey Mike, isn't it a beautiful sunny day today? you would have to accept that it's a beautiful sunny day. And then you can add to it. Yes, Mike, it's so sunny and it's entirely unexpected at this time of year. But if you came on stage and said, Mike, what are you talking about? It's cloudy. That's called blocking. That's not accepting. And now all of a sudden the scene, you've, you've basically um, disrupted the sense of disbelief that the audience has, right? So now they're like, well, are these people on the same page? That's an example of, so the idea of yes and. And a friend of mine, Dave Morris, does a fantastic talk on improv He's done a TEDx talk on that. And he's done several talks on the idea, the importance of like how to use improvise, like how to improvise within your, you know, not just talks that you do, but also team exercises. But you can do other things with improv. Like blocking is definitely a, a thing you don't want to do, which I just gave an example of. But then there's like um, there's pimping, and there's there's uh, where where basically you're like giving something, like you're almost throwing a softball at somebody, and they can see it coming from a mile away. That's that's something you can do, but you shouldn't do too often, right? So it's like, look at the like, if if I do a killer Christopher Walken impression, and Mike comes on stage, and goes, "Hey, Christopher Walken, isn't it a beautiful day?" That's pimp. Like it's like, okay, you're giving me a gift, and I now am Christopher Walken. I've accepted the offer, uh, but now I'm doing the thing, and it's like people are are going, okay, well, that's pimping, right? So there's lots of little rules that improv has, and you can use them. You can bend them and you could use them to great effect the more you've taken practice and, and, and taken lessons with improv and become more seasoned. But again, there's a dangerous line between like, am I going to instruct an entire presentation with my ability to improvise versus how do I infuse it in here piece by piece? And I think the easiest way is and the, and the best ways, especially if you're starting out, is paying attention to what's come before you, the environment that's going on and try to create something that people will get on your side with. And then also testing things that may in the moment be work and then see if you can add them into future talks or future presentations. And, you know, again, you're constructing almost like a stand-up comedian would uh, a new, a new bit, a new, you know, a new routine 
rather than, you know, uh, trying to do the same thing over and over and over. Well, and it's how uh, it's how others talks can get constructed, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the coolest things if you are going to give the same talk several times is by the time it's it's the seventh time that it's new to that audience, that audience has seen the experimenting you've been doing the first six. And that's one of the reasons why it's really cool to be able to give the same speech again and again and again. It is because you're and but but also you can take lessons from stand up comedians like, um, you know, again, uh, I know that some comedians have literally done material for an entire year and then they chuck it out and start all over. Now, those are people who have been doing. And again, this came up during the movie Comedian, where uh, the concept of the amount of years you've been doing stand up is equivalent to the number of years in a life. So if you've been doing stand up for five years, you're like a five year old. So you have that level of, of ability. If you've been doing standup for 15 years, you're like a teenager. Well, if you've been doing standup for like 20 years, you're, you're an adult, you're, you're seasoned, you're getting really good at it and you should be able to stretch yourself a bit more. And it's those comedians that are going, you know, like I just saw Bill Burr in Portland not too long ago. And, uh, he, all the stuff was fresh and he had just done a whole different set the year prior. I'm not sure that he chucks all his material every year and starts fresh but i can tell you number one he's constantly working on material and secondly he also knows there's a great example he was in portland he was making oregon jokes right like why are he goes here i am in portland like why are all the towns in oregon's named after old white men like eugene like like so he was throwing that stuff in there and people were laughing right you know uh so you can do you can take cues from comedians like that and going okay well i could do that right you also better know your audience well enough and where you are well enough to know what jokes or what things you can't throw in there. And I can tell you one talk I did in Atlanta, I used to say, and I still do this in certain places where I talk about like different things, trumping other things like this, this rule trumps this one. And then in certain places I'll say, I used to say that I used to say trumps. Now I say overrides and I leave it at that. And then people Depending on where I am, it takes like a half second for them to get it, and then it's it's actually more powerful for them because they're in on an inside joke. They had to use the right, brain. yeah, right. But I could tell you, in certain places, I would not <laughs> even throw that. Jo- I just don't say. I just say overrides, and I let that joke go because I'm in a, a place where that joke probably won't land uh, very well. So there's there's that to consider as well. So. You've done stand up. I mean, it's not your profession or anything, but I'm guessing that there's been a time where Mike Vardy just, this speech just did not go well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the speech or stand up, um, whatever that was. It's been, but you know what? It's interesting because the lessons that I learned in stand up, I, the, the ones that I learned in stand up that I applied to speak, speaking uh, worked. And the lessons I learned that I didn't apply, same result. So I can give you an example. Uh, I did stand-up here in Victoria and killed. Just killed. People loved it. Uh, same set uh, up island uh, in a rural setting, bombed. Just bombed. Same set, bombed. Um, and it's because I didn't know my audience. Like they were, it was, so knowing what talk to do where and whether or not it's polished enough because uh, I was relying again, not it wasn't polished enough. So that was a lesson I learned. Um, the anatomy of a joke, I didn't have for the longest time. I also didn't have the anatomy of a talk for the longest time. So when I didn't have, you know, when those things weren't lining up, uh, I didn't do well. Uh, the, the worst talk I ever did, or the talk that I think got received the worst, who um, was probably... It's tricky because I've almost gotten, and again, maybe this is my comedy background, almost gotten better at like just avoiding dwelling on those. You know what I mean? Like it's just, and comedians are like, well, it's just a given. I'm going to bomb. So that's it. I don't think you can go into speaking gigs with that idea either. Well, I'm probably going to bomb. I would say probably the, the worst talk that I, that I did it was probably when I was relying heavily on, Oh, I can, I actually was a, a gig in, in Pittsburgh. I now, I mean, I blocked it out. See, um, they want, they had somebody else that they definitely wanted to do the talk and they couldn't get that person. So I was like their second choice. I know that for a fact. 
And this person is a New York Times bestselling author. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bestselling author, but I'm not a New York Times bestselling author. And so I went in and I, I delivered what I believed was, it was a pretty solid talk. Um, but knowing, knowing that I was trying to be somebody else in that talk versus being myself, so I crafted that talk with that in mind, I'd say that was probably my worst talk. Not because the content wasn't solid, but because the way I delivered it didn't didn't feel right to me, and therefore that was definitely conveyed to the audience. To the point where when I asked for feedback, because I sent like, hey, what were your thoughts? They ghosted me. Like there was so much ghosting going on, and at the end of the talk, there it was very much like, a, well, thank you. Like it was a very lukewarm response from the, and it sucked. Luckily it was a private talk. So I don't know if it ever saw the light of day beyond that organization. But I think the lesson I took away from that talk was I need to be who I'm going to be going into these presentations. I am not going to be, you know, plan B or the, the, or, or, and I think that's a, that, that can be a mistake that speakers make, especially when, Number one, the money is alluring because it can be. And number two, when your ego gets in the way. We talked about earlier on the panels, right? The reason that panel worked so well is because the egos were left at the door. Like what you said about Craig. Craig's like, oh, I don't need to answer that. Like when, and, and there have been instances where panels and speakers where the ego is so elevated that it, you can, you can feel it. There's just, it's just there. And the ego can work for you if you keep it in check, but if you don't, it can work against you. And that would be an example. I mean, I bombed lots doing standup. Um, but I can tell you the reason I bombed doing standup is because I was trying to do too many things. I wasn't just doing standup. I was doing sketch. I was doing improv. I didn't give a singular focus to standup. If I did, I would be able to do, I would have been, I probably wouldn't have bombed as much, uh, you know, as many times as I did. I had some great gigs too. I'd say it's probably 50, 50, but with speaking, the nice thing is that, because I have a focus and I have an area of expertise, I've had, you know, it's been like 80, 20, I think for the most part. And I'm always going to be my own worst critic too. I think that's the other thing too. I mean, you do have a nice topic that everybody's bad at. So candidly, you can show up and be mediocre and people will be like, wow, that thing you said about color coding. Yeah, but I'll know that. I'll know that. See, that's the other thing too is, is I guess as somebody who's performed, you know, on stage, there is this, you know, there is this, I don't want to suck. And there will always be this level of, oh man, I missed that spot or I did that thing. No one in the audience generally knows that, but if I'm missing beats, I do. Yeah. And, um, you know, that I think is something that I tap into more than run away from because it helps make me want to be better. Yeah. Okay. So you have to be yourself on stage. We've established that. You can't be Mike Vardy being someone else, unless mm-hmm. it's just going to be an over-the-top Stephen Colbert situation. Which but- I've done. <laughs> which I've done. And that works. That works. But if you're, but it won't work any other way. Yeah. So the worst version is when Mike Vardy gets on stage and he's not being Mike Vardy. And I, I think yep. a lot of people try to do that, especially if you're not the headliner at the conference or the venue. It's really easy. Oh, James Clear's here. Don Miller's here. Never. And I internally, I'm thinking to myself, well, he's a lot better than me. And I, and I don't allow myself to go out on stage. It needs to be me. Even if I'm not the headliner. I can tell you another talk that I did, I actually leveraged the fact that Chris Hard, uh, Chris, uh, Chris Hadfield, you know, the astronaut, yeah. I spoke at a conference in Vancouver. I was the last talk before him in a completely separate room. Um, which was great because I wanted to see him and it was, it was, he did a great talk, but the conference was running behind. So I had to adjust my talk. That's another thing that can improv can help you with. If you have to make adjustments to your talk, you'll know what to cut, what not like that. That's another skill that, that improv can help you with. But the other thing I did was I actually inserted slides of, of him into my talk. Love it. So it was like, so I didn't, I didn't like try to rush through the talk. I cut some content, the stuff I feel felt I could cut. But then I also drew attention to the fact that I was the talk before him. And because there was a self-deprecating element to that, that worked. 
And people were like engaged because they're like, hey, this guy knows that we're here to see this guy and he doesn't care. He's drawing our attention to it. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I said, you know, All right, I'm almost done here. I know you're here to see this guy, but come on. He spent like a year in space. He can wait another minute or two. Right. <laughs> like, like, so, so I, 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 I tried to level the playing field a bit and that works. But if, but I could tell you that other talk I did in Pittsburgh, I kept bringing up this other person's name with this level of inferiority complex that was clearly showing and that didn't work. Uh, Mike, so you're a productivity guy who's a good speaker who is funny. When you're putting something together, you've got a talk to put together. Let's pretend you're going from scratch. Obviously, you're never fully from scratch, but I'm just saying there's not a talk that you've created the slides already and the talk track and da-da-da-da. What, what is your process for putting a talk together? So uh, for me, I think that the biggest thing is I'm always gathering ideas, man. Like, I mean, I, I have a capture habit. Like one of my sayings is capture everything, regret nothing. So if I see an idea, I'm going to capture it and I keep things. Well, what does I see have, an idea look like? Is that like, a so if Netflix I, and I have an idea? Sometimes, no. sometimes. I, I, I could tell you uh, an idea that I had this week. Uh, Olivia Newton-John passed away. My mom used to sing, have you never been mellow to me as a baby? I looked at the lyrics. I'm like, holy crap, I can relate this to the stuff that I talk about now. Like slow down, kick your shoe. I'm like, something's there. I just capture it on an, like I captured it in, 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 on draft. I use drafts on iOS for digital stuff. So I gathered some links and stuff like that. But then I also walk around with a notebook like I used to do with, uh, it's funny. I have a hybrid solution kind of like in comedian, Jerry Seinfeld walks around with like a notebook and Orny Adams has like this Excel spreadsheet. So I'm kind of like this weird hybrid of that, but yeah, like that, like, so that will, and what I'll do is I'll label it like, you know, idea, idea. And then I'll put like, is this good for a blog post, a video, or a talk? And a talk like that would probably be enveloped in like a keynote of some sort. Like, I don't know that I'd put that into a workshop, let's say, because I don't think, because there's a there's an emotional component. So that's the other thing too, is when I can tell you, when I'm developing a workshop, it's a lot more tactical and practical. Whereas with like a keynote or something that's a bit more, let's say philosophical or, um, you want them to take one takeaway, but you don't necessarily get to decide what that takeaway is. You can give them a bunch of ideas. Um, that ha, the have you never been mellow will probably show up in a keynote somewhere, right? Because there's an emotional attack. Like that would be an example of someone going, Oh man, I loved Greece. I loved, you know, I loved Olivia Newton John. Like that would be an example of, of how that starts. And then what I do is I actually have um, a task in ClickUp. I use ClickUp for my that says review review items tagged as talk in drafts. And I will go through and go, okay, well, does it, do I have anything I want to add to this right now? So I could have upwards of like eight or nine things that might be, that I might add to. Sometimes they consolidate into one talk. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just sit there and they grow into something else or whatever. But I'm, when I, I notice a lot of things. And again, like I mentioned earlier, my, my brain is always, on when it comes to this stuff and it has to do with me starting off in comedy. So I, I'll look at something and go, oh, well, this is related to this. How do I explore it? Uh, another example, I was watching a George Carlin bit uh, and he talks about, I don't know if you've seen this bit before, but the idea of when you go to somebody's house and you see all of their belongings on a table, uh, he goes, how come when you go to someone else's house and you see all their stuff on their table, it's their pardon the language, shit, but at your house, it's your stuff. <laughs> How come it's theirs? And I'm like, that's a to-do list thing. Like that could be related to a to-do list. Everybody else's things are that and every, all your stuff is stuff there. So I, I'll noodle on that. So, I, I mean, I spend time kind of set aside every day and it's normally in the evening, like between 10 and midnight. Cause I'm a night owl noodling on that stuff and seeing what comes from it. And then I'll compare it to say talks I'm already doing and going, does which talk am I going to retire? Do I need to retire a talk? Do I need to add to an existing talk? So it's, it's something I'm always kind of playing with because of the fact that I, I used to perform like a weekly sketch show and I used to constantly working on, on material for standup. So it, essentially the kernel comes from whatever I've noticed 
I'll capture it either on paper or in the digital world. Eventually, it'll end up in, in ClickUp for me to kind of explore and continually revisit and see what does is this something that is still in the ideation phase, or am I ready to turn it into something real? Whether it's a, a blog post, something for a book, a video, or a talk. And if it's a talk, then and and like I said earlier, I'm working on like this idea of a one man show, where I'll go to like fringe festivals. And do like a show based on what I talk about because I'll have a built-in audience. I can sell my books there. Like instead of me waiting for, you know, hey, we're going to hire you to speak. I'm like, well, why don't I just go out and start speaking at these, you know, and and I've got this built-in audience. Let's just go for it. And so that's the kind of thing I'm focusing on right now, which is not the same as doing like a one-hour keynote necessarily. Right. So so it varies, but that's kind of my process. Get it out of my head, get it into a place I trust, and then revisit it and flesh it out, flesh it out, flesh it out until it turns into something that I'm like, oh, so, this will resonate. So what I'm hearing is Mike Hardy is always capturing ideas. He is always writing them down. He's constantly reviewing them so mm-hmm. that by the time a speech opportunity comes up, let's say that tomorrow exciting conference X gets in touch with you. Yep. You're not starting from scratch. You've got all these ideas. So it's a matter of looking at the ideas and fleshing out those ideas and saying, well, this one right here would be the best talk. Yeah. Like, like, so for my TEDx talk, for example, when they did TEDx Victoria, uh, I decided that, um, they said we're, we're I think the, the theme was like, um, new ideas, I think it was, or, 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 or the unconventional. It was something along the lines of this is not normal. And I'm like, okay, do I have anything? Like, what is, what am I excited about? What, what things are not normal? And I, I didn't just do it for the topic because the topic and the talk is called how to stop time, which sounds ridiculous. And apparently it has a lot to do with uh, some uh, Japanese anime now, some character can stop it. So the YouTube <laughs> video of that has now taken on a life of its own. But the other thing I wanted to do with that talk wasn't just the, the, the content, but the context is I made that a three-minute TED Talk. So it wasn't just like I wanted that to be such a short blip. That's what – so I pitched that. And I pitched it because, number one, it was an interesting idea, but also the, the delivery was interesting. And knowing what the organizer wanted, if they gave me a three-minute talk, they could give somebody else a spot because I'm only asking for three minutes. They're yeah. like, okay, sure, absolutely. And by the way, that that whole uh, that whole uh, building of that talk was the hardest talk I've ever had to develop because it was only three minutes and you had to get your point across in three minutes or less. And I think it ended up being like three minutes and two seconds because there was an audience response that I reacted to. Otherwise, it would have been under three minutes. But the same thing would happen with... Um, like, so another example, if somebody said, like, I want to talk about, like, Mike, I want you to talk about your ideas on time. I'm like, okay, well, I want to talk about qualitative time, time management, like quality stuff. And let's talk about Hanson's song, Mbop. That's going to come up. They're like, wait, what the hell? Like, again, a pattern break. I'm like, yeah, Mbop is actually an increment of time. Like, that's what it is. That's what that song's about. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, so I'll bring that up. Like, hey, how many Mbops is this going to take? Like, that would be an example of where that would show up, right? So I will look at whatever they're coming to me with and say, like, they'll, they'll sometimes look at my speaking page and go, I'd like this talk. And then that's great, right? Because I've already got that talk and I can, I can massage it or I have something to work with. But if they're like, hey, I want, you know, I want you to, we're interested in talking about like why, you know, why time works the way it does. I can say, well, here's five things that I could talk about with regards to that. You pick which one and then I will specifically develop that. And to your point, all these ideas I captured may end up going into that. Like now that it's a forced function, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this talk about this thing. I'm excited about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have offered to do a talk like this. So now let me bring in all these ideas and see which ones can be related to this and build a story out of that. Well, it's such a win because instead of sitting there and saying, okay, if only I had a story Mm -hmm. where... There was a squirrel. I mean, maybe you don't have things that specific, but I do have a squirrel bit what? because squirrels are distractions. Yeah, this yeah. Is squirrel. I've ever heard. You have a squirrel bit. Yeah, because the squirrel is the, the. Remember in the movie um, Up, the dog, his reaction was squirrel. Like he would be super <laughs> focused, and then squirrel. Yeah, I have that. I also have um, 
some, the, one of the things I do in, in a talk, and this is one I do in a common talk, I think you may have seen me do this, is I will say that people don't understand how long a minute truly is. Oh, I love this, yeah. And I do, and I actually, it's a lot better to do it live on stage because there's that uncomfortableness. So I will say, I, everyone put their notebooks down, close their laptops, and do nothing for one minute, starting now. And I, 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 I have a timer, and I, and I stand there, and then I, <laughs> I kind of move around, and then I'll sit down. I'll nod at somebody maybe, like, uh, and then I'll, I'll start to look like I'm getting up at about 32 seconds. And then I'll be like, no, I'm just adjusting myself. So I'll just sit back and people are like, uh -huh, and they're like, no. and then I get up and I'm like, okay, time's up. I had that feel. And I ask everybody and they, I get the audience saying, I'm like, that was only 49 seconds. <laughs> and most people are like most people. And again, I've done this so often. Most people are like, oh my God, that felt like forever. I felt like, yeah. So imagine how it feels like when you're like not doing like, a minute lasts a lot longer. And I go, how many of you thought this was exactly a minute? And, and people are like, yep. Yeah. Like, how many of you meditate? And almost everybody leaves their hand up. That, that So that's another area. I'm like, okay, well, see clearly if you meditate, you have, more, you have a greater understanding of how long time is. So that's, that's stage work. That's stagecraft. Like, that's, that's a part of, because now the talk isn't just about me talking. It's a, what in stand-up world they would call it an act out, right? Like, and they do that a lot. I know John Acuff does this really well. Like, I know he does act outs pretty well. And there's a lot of, you know, comedians, really great comedians are able to do act outs as well. So yeah, like I will incorporate things like squirrel. I will incorporate things like, um, you know, again, like that break. Uh, there's, I look for the ideas in everything that I do and I notice a lot. Um, and the great thing about capturing it, Mike, is that once I've noticed it, and if I make a quick note, I can let it go. Yeah. I think that's the other yeah. thing too. So a lot of people are like, oh my God, I can't believe you're paying attention all the time. I'm like, no, I'm just paying attention in that moment, getting it out of my head, putting it down like I would anything else. And then I'm going to flesh it out a bit later. But I don't want to lose sight of that because, you know, frankly, in that moment, uh, there's gold that could be mined there, right? So that's 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 the way, yeah, I do have a squirrel bit. And it's actually, it, it's very brief and minor, but it's one of those pieces where I could insert it into probably three or four different talks that I do. And that's, again, probably the idea of being doing comedian uh, stuff in the past where it's like, okay, this joke will go in this set. Yep. Kind of like a musician with, hey, I got 20 songs I can do. What's the audience like? Oh, they're only here to hear my greatest hits. Great. I'm going to do all this, but I definitely want to have some new songs in there. So I'm going to do four new songs, right? It's the same kind of thing that I can do with a talk. I've got one more question for you and then we'll move into our final question. So, so much of what we talked about, I feel like is, is audience dependent. So comedy, people laughing, playing off of the audience, dealing with heckler, whatever. You also do YouTube videos, which by nature, I mean, obviously there's not an audience there and they, at least most people try to treat them more precisely without improv. I'm curious. How do you mentally get ready for YouTube videos? Is there any battle going on in your head or is that just Mike Vardy flips the switch? It's a bit of both. So I've struggled with doing consistent content on YouTube for the reason that, the two reasons. Number one, they're hard. it's harder to do than like a podcast or anything else. Fairly, you know, I mean, there's more involved and I'm still not that great at editing. And, you know, I don't want to be necessarily hiring an editor right now because it's still, the channel still, you know, very early on, I've got like over 5,000 subscribers, but that's minor in the world of productivity YouTube for sure. Um, I also know that there's certain material I don't want to do, and that keeps me from necessarily scripting or getting prolific with it because I don't want to be talking about apps. I don't want to be, I want to try to do timeless content, stuff that matters, not just today, but like two years from now or longer. So I tend to make things a little bit longer than, than, you know, I'm not going to just do a video necessarily on like how to get like the most out of notion because I don't, number one, know where Notion's going to be in five years, but I'll do a video like how to stop doing productive and start being productive. Um, when I do those, I generally keep, have an outline. I don't script it as well as I probably should. Um, and then I will riff a little bit. So I will, but then the great thing about doing a YouTube video is unlike a talk, I can edit it. So I can do jump cuts and things like that and insert B-roll. And that's, that's where the beauty of, of not having to do it live can be helpful. So like, for example, uh, this week I'm, I am working on a video 
uh, called Forget Inbox Zero, which is about like, you know, why Inbox Zero is stupid. And I will infuse, you know, email screenshots and stock footage of that nature and things like that. Um, but I'll also infuse me like, you know, talking about it matter of factly in a talking heads manner. I think the more I get better at YouTube, there'll probably be a lot more dynamic elements to it, but, uh, it is different. Uh, injecting humor has to be done in a completely different way. Cause you're not going to get that response, the energy level. And I remember when we used to do sketch comedy, my, my, I had a troupe called the 30 cent players and we like performed in a bunch of different places. And we used to do mixed live and video sketches. And it's, the, the difference between a live sketch and a video sketch being delivered in a live studio audience is pretty apparent because people will laugh at the live video sketches, but if you're watching them as they're doing that and they don't laugh at a point that you think that they should laugh at, there's nothing you can do. Like, and the video is already out there. So uh, I think with YouTube, it, it becomes a bit of a sandbox. The other nice thing I think I'll use YouTube for, like I use social media for, is do I want to turn this into something more? a course, a talk, things like that. So that's kind of where I'm at with YouTube. And the biggest thing I think that can help speakers who are like, I don't know if I want to do YouTube or anything like that. It gets your face on camera. It gets your face in front of people. So people know what you look like. They know whether or not you can actually talk, whether it's scripted or otherwise, they want to see you. A podcast won't do that. Uh, writing things down won't do that. Private workshops won't do that because no one's going to see them unless you share with them in your, in a media reel or a sizzle reel. But YouTube will get get you in front of people that may want to have you speak for them. And I know that that's happened for me on a couple of occasions. Uh, and plus, a YouTube channel also gives you the capability to highlight some of the, your YouTube, your speaking engagements like Creative Live. Uh, I have some of that those clips on there, things like that. So yeah, it, YouTube is still very much an em, um, emerging area for me, but I can see where what role it plays in kind of like the body of work that I'm doing. Uh, not just for speaking, but for everything I do related to, you know, time management and productivity. But did you have to, was there a point where you just said, okay, I need to stop trying to be funny. I can't hear laughter. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there, there's no, the infusion of humor for me on YouTube is generally done through the live streams that you can do or through some of the edits you can do. So the, so mm -hmm. you can do edits that incite laughter, but I wasn't, when I was doing, when I do YouTube videos, it's not like I want to be funny. It's, I want to be engaging. I want people to pay attention, which means, and there's so many things that go into that. How long should my videos be? How long should each shot be? Um, Cause you can't do long headshots like this. Like if we were recording this for video right now and putting it on YouTube, they're looking at us talking heads for like an hour or so. Like that's not very dynamic or engaging. So you have to figure out all of that. And that's all mechanics. So I'm not really focused on how do I make this funny? Um, I'm focused more on uh, how do I make this engaging? I have done some vlog stuff that's been funny with my daughter and things like that. And that's just been reactionary, but it's not like I set out to plan that it's, it's just happened. So for, for YouTube, it, I think it's more important to create content that's engaging that will lead to you being able to do live stuff where then you can showcase your ability to be humorous in those instances, as well as off the cuff when it happens. Yeah. Engaging, creative, helpful is more important than being funny, but you don't even know if the audience is laughing. That's sort of, uh, yeah. Unless, unless you're making a video, like unless you're a comedy YouTuber, in which case, yeah. But then it's like, as if you're making it for a television show or something like that, like, you know, but at the end of the day, that's not what I'm focused on. And I don't think I, it's, it's a tough, um, it's a tough area or arena to kind of say, I'm going on YouTube to be, I'm going to showcase my humor because it's not as easy, especially for somebody who's so well-versed at, you know, like the kind of humor and, and the kind of performance that I do that showcases my humor. Well, and there's a difference between Mike Vardy doing that and Chris Rock doing that too. Right. Yeah, but Chris Rock's a comedian. Yeah, See, that's, that's the difference, I mean. right? Like, yeah, yeah you're, yeah, you're going into it going like, I'm going to watch the Chris Rock. You expect it to be funny. If I can throw humor into mine, great. But that's, I think, the same thing that happens when I do a talk. I mean, if people go, oh, wow, Mike's 
pretty funny. This guy doesn't just talk about time management productivity. He actually makes it funny and interesting and stuff like that. Uh, if I can do that on YouTube, great. I'm just not, uh, I guess I'm not as polished in that area to do it over video in the same way that I could do it in a live uh, yeah. setting. Uh, every guest of this season, the best speech podcast gets a $50, 50 American dollar donation. to the charity of their choice. That I, I think is more than 50 in your native it's a, land. It, it's at least $86, <laughs> I think. So Michael, we are donating where? Uh, to the cancer society, the Canadian cancer society would be because, you know, then, then it's just Canadians that are getting helped. So <laughs> <laughs> my father-in-law passed away of cancer a number of years ago. So that's the charity that, that I would love. And thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Uh, every guest ends with two questions. The first of these, so we end with a, a tip from the speaker and then a story from the speaker. But the tip is first. And again, tip is meant to be something that you wouldn't necessarily find in a public speaking textbook, but something that's worked for you. But what's a Mike Vardy speaking tip? I would say my, my number one speaking tip is to capture, like capture ideas relentlessly like in a place that you trust because you never know it when you're noticing things, you never know what you can infuse or integrate into a talk that you're doing. And when you're capturing things, you're paying attention. And so you'll also get to see what other people are noticing and paying attention to. And then you can create these relatable experiences, which will only help with your, with your speeches. I love that. And I can say as someone who works with other speakers, I am always trying to get little quirks, to use your word, little things that people have noticed. And when I can get one of those that I know they're excited about and isn't obviously connected to the topic, that is that is gold for me. I remember working with a speaker who I found out was a sneakerhead. We got Air Jordan shipped to him at the event so that he could work it in as part of the talk. Nothing to do with the talk, but it had everything to do with the talk. That's super exciting. So that's why noticing those things can be really, really useful. And it doesn't take much. And you don't need to have anything fancy. Just have a notebook and a pen in your pocket wherever you go. Or just, you know, use a use a, a, a note-taking app and you're good to go. Yeah, just your phone with an app. With your yep. Evernote Notion, whatever you're using. Yeah. You, could, you could even dictate it. I dictate them almost all the time because that way I it, the friction is so much lower. So I actually use dictation. And the bonus is if you do that, dictation gets better because it gets to recognize your voice. Mm, very nice. All right, last thing, a Mike Vardy story. This can be something that you've told from stage or not told from stage, but Mike, let's hear it. Uh, so um, I think uh, an interesting story. This actually, I think, has a lot to do with the – when I was speaking in uh, Santa Barbara, I did, I've done some courses for LinkedIn Learning for, for a company called Madecraft, and I went down there during like just – as things were starting to open up again to do another round. And I was keeping it really quiet. Like I didn't want to share too much because there was still like a lot of, why are you traveling and all that stuff. But I was also very cognizant of the fact that I didn't want to be out in public all that much myself, just in case, because I had to do things like go to the Santa Barbara fairgrounds to take like a PCR test while leaning against like a fence and looking like I was smoking something out of a tube instead of spitting into one. Like, all that stuff. And so I, um, the glamorous life of a speaker, I'm at this, I'm at the Holiday Inn Express in Santa Barbara, a really nice venue. Um, and I, I wanted to have dinner, but I didn't want to go anywhere. And I'm from Canada and there's no in and out in Canada. There's no in and out. And I was like craving it. So I ordered it off of Uber Eats, which is fine, but I also wanted dessert. Now, another thing I'm a fan of is Baskin Robbins, which we also don't have a lot of in Canada anymore. But there's a particular ice cream I'm a huge fan of, which is pink bubblegum ice cream, a lot like Ryan Reynolds' character in the movie Free Guy. And so I ordered for dessert at the same time a, 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 a thing of uh, bubblegum ice cream from the nearest Baskin Robbins, which was like 20 minutes away. And they could you couldn't just order a small one. I ordered, I want to say like, like more ice cream than I could possibly eat to be delivered. And it was just hilarious to watch. So I'm sitting there getting ready for tomorrow. I'm sitting there in my boxer shorts and a Cincinnati Bengals jersey, watching the Bengals play football while eating this In-N-Out burger and this quart of ice cream that is not fully formed anymore. It's almost like a soup. 
and going, this is the life. This is the life. <laughs> and I get to go to California again in, in like, uh, you know, a few days after we recorded this. So maybe I'll get to do it all over again. Who knows? Uh, but that ice cream thing was hilarious. And it, let me just put it this way. Pink bubblegum ice cream melted from Baskin Robbins doesn't have the same kind of um, uh, <laughs> uh, feeling as it actually as full blown ice cream from Baskin Robbins. You end up just drinking soup and chewing gum at the end of it. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I, I went straight into problem solving mode. I'm thinking to myself, dude, might get a hotel room with a freezer. Can it sit, can it fit in there? Those freezers are really small. Yeah, no, there was nothing. I had to eat the whole thing at that moment. Like I, I committed when I hit like, send me this ice cream. I knew what I was getting myself <laughs> into. And I'm like, well, that's, that's just the way it goes. And then the next day when we were filming, it's like, how you doing? And I was, I was like, well, I'm chock full of in and out and ice cream. And they're like, all right, then <laughs> let's do it. It's a good California experience. Mike, where can people find out more about you? Well, the best place to go right now is productivity.com productivityist.com rather slash diet. And from there you can sign up to my emails. You can get my free daily planner. You can get a whole bunch of stuff. So just go to productivityist.com slash diet and we'll take it from there. Love it. Mike Vardy, you're a gentleman and a scholar. Thanks for coming on. Thanks Mike for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks to our guest, Mike Vardy, for being on the show today. Please make sure to check out Mike's work. It's really helped me. Productivityist.com. The Best Speech Podcast has been hosted by me. That's Mike Pacchione. It has been produced and medium edited by Alicia Otieno. The music is by Jonah Ramey. Check out our website, bestspeech.co. Until next time, my friends, do good things out there.